This podcast interview is brought to you by the National School Safety Center and Visdom K-12. We welcome listeners to this special series of podcasts on a topic very important to all of us, that, of course, being the safety of our kids while at school. Today, we're talking with Bill Burkhart, Manager of Grounds and Maintenance at Dubuque Community Schools in Dubuque, Iowa, about how physical plant contributes to school safety. Bill Burkhardt, welcome. Thank you, Craig. Uh, appreciate the opportunity to speak with you. Terrific. Bill, the, the Butte Community School District, I think, has something like 10,000 students, uh, has over about 19 separate buildings spread across the, the Butte community. That sounds like a fairly challenging job for grounds and maintenance. You know, it sure is at times, Craig. Uh, you know, the Dubuque School District has a mix of historical buildings and modern new facilities, and our buildings range from being built in the 1920s to the present. Uh, people are often surprised to learn that the district has a 240-square-mile footprint and that we have 1.7 million square feet under roof that's cleaned and uh, maintained every day. And that amount of square footage keeps a full-time staff of 16 maintenance uh, people and 83 custodians very busy, and we like the challenge. Yeah, I would imagine with some of the buildings being older, that issues uh, that would retrofit things like security cameras and, and entrance uh, and, and egress and exit, um, you know, have to be dealt with carefully. It sure does. And when you think back to these buildings being built in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, what the classroom looked like then and what it uh, looks like now with uh, the power demands for projectors, smart boards, and uh, computers, it's a challenge to be able to provide enough power to these modern classrooms now uh, in the setting of a 1920 or 30-year-old uh, built, built building. Uh, we enjoy the challenge, but there's some days it, it'll make you scratch your head. Sure. Let's begin talking a little bit about controlling access to buildings. Uh, you, know, you don't have to go very far in, in the news day to, to hear about uh, concerns uh, parents, communities have about uh, unauthorized individuals gaining access to our school buildings. Bill, how have you seen access control evolve over the last few years in the school buildings? Well, you know, what used to be considered security is probably anything but secure nowadays uh, with the newsworthy safety incidents that we see in our schools around the countries. Uh, we have to be very intentional about monitoring, controlling the arriving and departing of students, staff, uh, parents, and visitors. Uh, we do that in several ways. First thing that comes to mind is uh, limiting access. You know, we're possible and as much as possible, we strive to control access during the school day to one single location. Obviously, nearby to a main office of each school is ideal. All traffic in and out of the school during the school day should happen at that location. Now, we've also added cameras to areas that used to be only controlled with doorbells and buzzers. All visitors are then required to identify themselves with the proper ID to gain access to our building. One example of that is a district-wide system that requires a visitor to provide a state-issued ID. That system instantly screens the information on that ID and checks it against the registered sex offender list in all 50 states. Now, if you have a hit or a match, the visitor can discreetly 
be moved into an area to confirm the information is accurate before making any decisions. That's just a couple of examples of what we've changed to improve. Well, that sounds like a, a really sophisticated system. I guess I wasn't aware that you could get that kind of information at your fingertips beyond, you know, obviously seeing who the individual is and having them identify themselves. The fact that you can actually check their identity against a database and, and perhaps prohibit them entering the building, that's pretty amazing. Is that, is that an expensive proposition, or you know, what does it take to install something like that? That's all technology-driven. It's been uh, installed now, I'm going to guess, two years. I haven't been uh, aware of any big issues with it, and it seems to be going very well. Um, I would have to check on the exact price of it and get back to you on that. But it's just another layer of security. It's not meant to be a cure for all building safety. It's just an additional layer that helps us uh, provide a safer environment for our students and staff. Well, as important as it is to, to obviously address the issues of people entering the building, uh, safety extends uh, to the grounds as well. And I assume that um, students and staff interacting with uh, buses coming and going, pedestrian traffic and such, you know, what kind of strategies are there for ensuring that you know, people not just entering the building but approaching the building and cars and pedestrians, what type of strategies uh, are, do you find are, are helpful relative to uh, creating safe ingress and, and egress? Clear and obvious uh, pedestrian zones are important. Separating vehicles and buses from pedestrian traffic as much as possible has become a high priority with the district. We just completed the Hempstead High School renovation and had a very successful separation of the buses on one area of the campus. The arriving parents come to another area and they discharge their students and, and uh, into another area that's separated from the kids that drive to the high school. So there's a real intentional separation of traffic and pedestrian traffic there. And we're very happy. And we're taking some of the lessons learned from that project into 2016 and make two improvements at two of our elementary schools, all with the goal of separating pedestrians and buses and parents dropping off their students. So um, perhaps it's not obvious, but uh, obviously safety considerations and the use of landscaping uh, is oftentimes used as a tool for creating a safe environment. Uh, you know, is it true that, you know, the height and placement of even a shrubbery can be an impediment to safety? Well, it sure is. Uh, you know, we're also aware of uh, the type and nature of ground cover mulch that's used around our buildings. We're very specific to uh, ask for materials that cannot be used uh, for projectiles, for breaking windows and other vandalism. Likewise, we keep our uh, foundation planning small and airy. We try to eliminate hiding places. That's all fundamental to uh, safety and security. With 12 years of uh, law enforcement experience, I have kind of a sharp eye to that and try to, to stay up on that and eliminate those places where people can, can uh, be out of sight and create a lot of problems. I wonder, Bill, just as a follow-up, if, if the choice of the different types of fencing that you use are, in, are somehow influenced by you know, issues of not just prohibiting access, but also just the nature of, of what you choose to use relative to safety. 
Well, that's a good question. A lot of people see that and they they don't think about it. But we attempt to keep fences, railing, guardrails as transparent as possible, but still provide the fall protection and separation they're intended for. Uh, some situations may require a wall to be studied and detailed to provide the height and resistance required for safety. And I can give you an example uh, of that at a, a downtown school that is next to a very busy main thoroughfare to the city. A uh, block wall was put around the uh, playground to protect those students from a truck or car coming off of that uh, main thoroughfare and uh, not being able to get into the playground. So that's all things we take into consideration for for our schools. You know, we mentioned a little bit earlier the, the, the use of cameras and monitoring entrance and exits. I imagine that some of that technology has found its way as well into the building to monitor various public gathering places. I, I assume, too, that, you know, even though it's, uh, you know, it's, it's a right to privacy to some degree, when you're at school, it's, it's, it's fairly important to ensure that areas of, of folks gathering stay safe as well. What role does, does video monitoring have uh, in creating a safe environment in our schools? You know, deterrence is the key, and that's what we prefer. It's much uh, less likely that vandalism or violence is going to occur where surveillance and uh, supervision is obvious. History has shown us that camera placement in a problematic area will cause the issue to either go away or go somewhere else. Uh, we've also benefited lately with developing technology. Two, example, two examples helping us to improve safety in our schools are the higher resolution cameras, and the ability to recall uh, stored data, stored history. And that helps us uh, solve a lot of issues uh, sometimes. You know, there's, a, there's two kinds of supervision. There's the, you know, the, the physical barriers uh, that prevent you know, access and, and, uh, and exit. And then there are the, you know, natural supervisions, if you will, having individuals uh, posted in certain locations. Uh, as you think about those two types of supervision, relative to school buildings, um, should it be the goal uh, of of grounds and, and, and such to minimize the use of architectural barriers to supervision? You know, we spoke earlier uh, here in the program that uh, some of the age of our school buildings were designed in the 1920s and 30s, and well, they were designed in a different era. You know, with that in mind, the district works with architects and engineers during remodeling and renovation projects to minimize those architectural barriers you talk about that would uh, proclaim uh, natural supervision. We think that through good design and updated technology and the input of students, staffs, and parents that uh, here in Dubuque we're well on our way to uh, making our schools as safe as possible. Yeah, Bill, I know you manage a number of, of folks across the district and, and I'm sure you're in fairly constant contact. What type of um, training, if any, do you advocate for building custodians and others who perhaps are not interacting with students, you know, to the degree the teachers are, and yet still need to be aware uh, of safety concerns? The Buildings and Grounds Department has an assistant manager or a manager, and we will often visit the schools throughout a school day. We'll look for opportunities to get into buildings and not being stopped or restricted at doors that require access. We'll look for doors that are propped open, uh, maybe intentionally or not. Uh, 
we'll often walk down corridors and areas without our IDs out and see if uh, somebody will stop and challenge us. And then we'll take it a step further. Our insurance company will come through uh, time to time and also test the barriers, test supervision, and test uh, employees to see if people will stop them, uh, ask them if they could be helped, and maybe direct them to the administration office. So uh, we, we do some informal training with our custodians and staff. Uh, we ask all our employees, of course, to wear their ID badges prominently so they can be identified quickly. And uh, it's just that mental attitude of uh, working together to improve the safety of our, our, our buildings. Well, we appreciate uh, Mr. Burkhardt joining us and sharing his perspective on the physicality of school safety. We certainly encourage our listeners to join us again soon for another installment of our School Safety Podcasts.